Hello, lovely people, and welcome to your post-mortem edition of the Keep Singing Podcast. I'm your host, Sunny Dynamic Symmetry, on Twitter and Tumblr and other places. And, oh my fucking god, I have so many feelings about last night. I have so many fucking feelings about- okay, I'm gonna scream about all of them, and we'll- we'll- We'll get to him. I have, I have like, I have a list. Normally I don't even have to make a list because normally I'm like, okay, I've got three or four things I really want to touch on. I had to make a fucking list because there's so much and you know, I'm sure I'm going to forget something. Um, I'm just, I'm going to do the best I can. Um, (laughs) yeah. And, And not all the screaming is positive. I actually, I have some, I have some negative screaming to do and I'm, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that I actually consider to be in fairly poor taste, and I'm gonna go ahead and bitch about this fandom a little bit. Like, okay, yeah. You know what? I I've done that before. Um, it's 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 not something that I'm necessarily a stranger to doing, but I really do try to minimize doing anything like picking on anything specific in the fandom, just because I it, it feels. It feels kind of petty at this point. Um, I, I get the sense that, at least, I don't know if it's just that I've curated my little circle in an effective way, and I'm just not exposed to it anymore. But I get the feeling that uh, the 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 ship wars between us and especially Carol fandom that were flying, you know, that the, the were it was pretty hot. It was a pretty hot war for a while. I, I get the feeling that it's kind of cooled down a bit. So I, I kind of, it's just, you know, it's like I, I kind of want to put all that behind us. But at the same time, I've got some stuff to bitch about. So those of you who enjoy petty bitching, strap in, because that's coming. But yeah, uh, yeah I've, got, I've got stuff to talk about. Negan, I want to talk about. Jadis, I want to talk about a fucking helicopter. Um, I want to talk about a lot. So I've got tea. You guys don't seem to be bothered by the periodic drinking of the tea. I don't really, I thought it would be annoying, but I don't know, like a couple times I haven't had it and some of you have been like, where's the tea? So I have the tea. Uh, And let's get into it. Okay, so just to start with, um, again, I, I never am sure how many people who are listening to this aren't like directly part of my corner of the fandom. I strongly suspect that pretty much nobody is. Like maybe there are one or two of you, uh, but yeah, um, it's in addition to shipping Beth and Daryl, I really ship Carol and Ezekiel. It's not like it's not like a hardcore ship thing where I go and look at fan fiction and stuff, but it's like I want them together. I think they make really, really a whole lot of good sense. And so last night was very exciting. Um, the hand holding, oh my god, that's oh that scene was just so perfect. And I mean. If you've been paying attention to this show, then I think that you get a sense at this point that when characters meaningfully hold hands, even if they're not holding hands in an overtly romantic way, even if they're just kind of holding hands in a, this is a moment that's really emotional and I'm going to connect and comfort with you kind of way, even when they do that, that is like red siren. I actually think I used red siren emojis on Tumblr. That is like red siren telegraphing that this thing is going to go canon. You know, that doesn't mean it won't end. Just about every relationship on this show at one point or another, one point or another has ended, you know, except the ones that are currently active. So it, that doesn't mean that Ezekiel won't still die. I mean, I really hope he doesn't, but that doesn't, it doesn't mean his head won't end up on, on a, 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 you know, whisper pike or whatever, but it's, yeah, I really think this is, this is as far as I'm concerned and I could be wrong, this is now officially canon. But that scene was just so great. I mean, Carol is so much what I want to talk about here. I'll try not to ramble too much, guys, but you know it's going to happen. Um, Ezekiel and okay, let me have some tea and, and I'll get into Ezekiel and Carol because it's, that's kind of where some of the bitching comes in. So, um, yeah, I, I love, I love Ezekiel and Carol. I love Ezekiel and Carol for many of the same reasons that I was really into Morgan and Carol for a while. Like I didn't, I didn't super hardcore ship that either, but I thought that that relationship was, was interesting and would have been additionally interesting if it had taken a romantic turn. Now that's not to say that I don't love it as it is. I do. It's one of my favorite relationships on the show, but a lot of my favorite relationships on the show involve Carol. So I think it's kind of cool, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I, I really, I thought that her relationship with Morgan was cool for a lot of the same reasons that her relationship with Ezekiel is cool, which is to say that it's, it's, 
the foundation is is really deep care. Um, you know, Morgan. On on the one hand, I think Morgan's mission to save Carol was a little bit. I don't know. It was a little too messianic. Like I don't I don't think that it necessarily was coming from the most purely selfless place in Morgan. I, I think one of the things that Morgan was trying to do was to save himself. I think he he still felt that he could slide into what he has slid into now very easily. And, and he kind of wanted to, unconsciously, he wanted to kind of preemptively save himself by saving Carol. So it was a little, yeah, I, I don't think it was necessarily coming from a perfectly great place, but he also clearly does care about Carol enormously. He cares about her, he respects her, he values her as a person. He very much want, wanted and wants her to value herself. Um, you know, he's very sad and broken now, but I don't think that his feelings about her in that respect have changed. But it's also a very complicated relationship. It's contentious. They have literally fought in the past. And, you know, that's that, that makes it problematic, not in the social justice sense, but, but problematic in the sense that there are problems in it. And it's those problems that I find very interesting. It's, you know, I, I, I like relationships that aren't 100% smooth and romantic and great. I like relationships, I like relationships period where there's conflict. And I like romantic relationships where there's conflict. And I think that that's, that's very true of Morgan and Carol in terms of the conflict. And I think it's very, very true of Ezekiel and Carol. Um, you know, he, Ezekiel clearly feels very much for her like Morgan does. He cares for her deeply. He respects her enormously. Um, he wants her to understand that she is a good person. You know, it doesn't mean that there isn't also badness in her, but that there is a real core of goodness and that, um, you know, like, like Morgan said, she saves people. She can save people, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to also in a second because I think that phrase was very important. But yeah, and so so I, I really loved... And it also broke my heart. The scene at the very beginning with them where Ezekiel is like, you know, and you know, you're Henry's Henry could be alive, you know, we really we really should be looking for him and stuff. And and then he calls Carol a coward. Or he doesn't necessarily call her a coward. I you somebody might say I'm splitting hairs about this, and maybe I am, but he didn't literally say she was a coward. He he what he was saying was that there was an element of cowardice in how she approached the world. That's not the same thing as calling somebody a coward. It's really not. And the distinction is a fine one, but I really think that it's there and that it's meaningful. And I mean, I don't think that he's wrong about that. And that's not me disrespecting Carol, because there is an element of cowardice in everybody. Um, there's everybody on this show, at one point or another, has behaved like a coward. And Carol has many times. And it's not that Carol is a coward. She's a very strong, brave person. But there's also a lot of weakness in her. And we've seen that weakness at work before. It's, it's one of the things that I love about her because it makes her so goddamn interesting. She is always at war with herself to some degree. And, and I, I love that. I think it's amazing. But, you know, he, he points out that in, in her attitude at that moment, there is an element of cowardice, that she's afraid to let herself believe, that she's afraid to, she's afraid to choose the option wherein hope might be found. And he, I don't think he's wrong about that. And he's also, he's so hurt, he's so crushed, you know, he feels like he's losing something in that moment. You know, he really, he, he needs her to be with him in that place because he's still, I think he's still very shaky and he's still remembering that in a lot of ways she kind of brought, she's in the process of bringing him back. And that's kind of a, like, that's a problem that I want to highlight because it kind of puts her in a position where she's doing emotional labor for him. So I want to recognize that. But at the same time, you know, she, the, the feelings that he has there for her are genuine and they are grounded in respect. Even if he uses the word cowardice, I think it's grounded in respect. Because one of the things he's kind of implying there is, you know, look, I know that you're better than this. I know that you, you can be better than this. And it's distressing to him that that's not, that better version of herself is not who he is seeing her be. Now, before, before the episode, I... Uh, saw saw some stuff here and there about people, uh, you know, mostly mostly on the Carol slash Carol with a what. There's not a lot of distinction there, as far as I can see. Um, 
at least not not among the really really seriously loud minority. Uh, there there was some anger about you know Ezekiel disrespecting Carol and calling her a coward, and I was like, this is probably not how they are describing it. So I, I looked up the video before the episode and I watched it and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I thought. Which is to say, it was like I was just describing. You know, it was it was a very complicated scene that had a lot of layered emotion and was, you could argue with what Ezekiel was saying and you could argue with how he was saying it, but he was not, he was not necessarily disrespecting her in that moment. Or at least maybe he was kind of, but it is more complicated than that. But the, the narrative from that end of the fandom was, the, the take from that end of the fandom was he's disrespecting her. And I, I talked about this a little bit on Tumblr. And it, I was not surprised at the end of the episode when it circled back around and they kind of, they had this, they, they, re, they resolved that scene between them. And, you know, Ezekiel was like, you know, you're not a coward. You really are, you are like the strongest, bravest person I know. And then they have a wonderful hand-holding scene, which I swear to God is the moment at which this ship went canon. And, and even if it didn't, you know, even if you don't ship them, that was a really beautiful little scene. It was really, really important for both of them, and I think especially for Carol. But one of the things that this kind of shipping does that, that bothers me so fucking much is it, and this is actually probably the thing about it that bothers me the most, it, it takes these very complicated characters with these very complicated relationships and it just completely, it oversimplifies them to the point where they're not even really recognizable. They're just these cardboard cutouts. They're so flat and so boring. It, it forces you to have this very impoverished view of who these characters are. You know, Ezekiel is just, Ezekiel is reduced to a single very literalist reading of what it was that he was saying, which allows for no nuance, no deeper connection, no no parsing of any different layered emotion. It's just, it's, it's, it's all about the flat words and all of the context is stripped away. And then the same thing is absolutely, it, it, the same thing becomes true of the last scene. You know, people, the same people who are complaining about the first scene were either dismissing it, calling it bad writing, which it's not, or, you know, saying, well, there's absolutely no way this is romantic, which, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm putting that aside because that is a, I don't believe that, but that's an argument that I think you could legitimately have. But, but regardless, it meant that their flat reading of the first scene resulted in a flat reading of the last scene. And that ends up just destroying these characters. I mean, they're not, they're not interesting at that point anymore. Your fave should not be perfect. You know, your fave should be flawed. Daryl is my fave and oh my God, does he have problems. I love that about him. I love that he's got problems. Um, he's, he's, he's done some awful shit and he's said some awful things. Like I pointed out, he screams in Carol's face in season two after she loses Sophia. Like right after, she's, she's crying in front of him and he is screaming at her. And he doesn't physically threaten her exactly, but I think he comes within about a hair's width of doing that. And he's doing that because he's angry and in a tremendous amount of pain and he feels very, very bad about it later. You know, you're seeing the worst part of him there, but you're not seeing all of him. That does not make it excusable what he did. It doesn't make it excusable that he, you know, kind of physically assaulted Beth a tiny bit and still, but you know, it's, I recognize and accept that he did those things and that they were inexcusable and also that he is in, on a really deep level also a very good person. And those things can coexist. Um, I absolutely love Rick. Rick's a shitty person. Oh, we're going to talk about Rick. But yeah, it's, it's just, it fucking bugs me. It fucking bugs me because these are great characters and reading them in this way just destroys them. Yeah. Okay, jumping from that to Carol. We didn't actually see very much of her in Ezekiel. And, you know, I just, I've talked about how much I love them and I love them and I, I want them. I want them to get together and be happy at the end of this. They're not going to probably because nobody gets to be happy or have nice things. But I, I really want it. All right, tea. Oh man, this thing's getting cool. I might have to heat it up. No, no, I'll just stick with it. So, Carol. Oh my fucking god, this was such a great Carol episode. I mean, it was it was a great episode because you really did get to see her strength, you know, regardless of what Ezekiel said. And again, I don't think he was 100% off base there. She is, 
She's so strong in this episode. She's almost taking on a Morgan place, a, a Morgan perspective. She's, you know, she's out there when Morgan is clearly broken and in an, in an awful place. She's out there to take care of him. Oh, I hear a helicopter. We will talk about the helicopter. Uh, he, she, she's out there to kind of, to protect him, to take care of him, even if in the end she can't. And she's, you know, she, in the end, she chooses hope and she, she looks for Henry and she finds him. And uh, I, I, I'm so happy that I noticed this and I wasn't wrong. And, and then it got confirmed on The Talking Dead after, apparently. I, did, you know, I never watched Talking Dead. But where Henry was hiding, exactly the same place where they filmed Sophia hiding. It didn't just look like the same place. It was the same fucking place. Obviously not in the story, but, you know, in, in terms of where they went to film it. So that was such a moment of Carol's story coming full circle. Like, she's, ever since she lost Sophia, her relationships with children have been her trying to save Sophia. And she has failed over and over and over again. And it's been heartbreaking. And it, you know, it kind of leads her to that place in Consumed where she, you know, says to Daryl, I don't think we get to save people anymore. But then last night, you know, Morgan was saying over and over again, I've seen you, you save people. And Morgan, you know, I talked about him some last week as kind of a mystical character. You know, he's fucked up. You could argue that he's crazy. Uh, you know, whatever you consider crazy to mean, regardless of how problematic a term that is. I, I'm actually comfortable using it that way as somebody who arguably is crazy themselves. It's, he, he is very disordered in how he's thinking. But at the same time, I think he is seeing the world with a piercing clarity that other characters are not. Be, because of his own, the way he's kind of slightly disconnected from the world, he is seeing the world. It, it kind of from a different place, almost from an elevated place. He's, he is a sage in some ways. He's kind of a prophet. He's always been a prophet. That's actually kind of all the way back to clear. I mean, Gimple has been writing him as a prophet. That's who he is. Uh, a prophet is somebody who comes to tell the truth. And prophets are pretty fucked up in the Old Testament too. They're not like perfect Jedi Knights. They're, they're uh, very often they don't even want to be prophets and God has to chase them down until they actually finally give in and go be prophets. But Morgan is a prophet. And when he looks at Carol and he says, you save people, he's 100% correct. He's absolutely right. She does. She hasn't been able to up until now, but she has, you know, she, at the end of the day, she keeps trying and she keeps trying. And then finally last night, she was able to kind of metaphorically save Sophia. And that healed her in the deepest possible way. We haven't really seen it yet. And it's not that I expect her to be mentally totally healthy and happy from now on. But she did, she kind of got a do-over and she did it. And that was so fucking beautiful. And it was so great to see. And I've been wanting that for her for so long and we finally got it. So, I mean, I think that that, that puts her in a place some people, again, the people who really don't want her to be with Ezekiel were saying, well, this closes out their relationship. And no, I don't think that that's true. I think that that puts her in a place where now she is going to be able to connect with Ezekiel like a partner. Because this is one of the reasons why I don't think that Daryl and Carol are a good romantic fit. Um, Daryl is too fucking broken. He's, first of all, he's profoundly emotionally immature. Um, I don't think he's going to be ready for a romantic relationship anytime soon, if ever. He's so broken inside. He's in such a terrible place. Uh, he is not suited to be anybody's romantic partner right now. He's barely suited to be anybody's friend. He, he can barely look after himself. And anybody who tried to be his romantic partner right now, and I include Beth if Beth, you know, hadn't died or miraculously came back. Um, anybody who tried to be his romantic partner would end up just, they would end up, they would end up doing a tremendous amount of emotional labor for him. They would end up caring for him in a way that I don't think is healthy. And at least up until now, Carol's been kind of the same. She's been, she has, she's not emotionally mature in the way that Daryl is. She's an abuse survivor, but not in the way that Daryl is. You know, she's not a childhood abuse survivor, and that means different things for her psychology. But she's been really broken too. And I don't think that she's been in a place where she could be in a romantic relationship either. She was just carrying around too much baggage. Um, two really broken people 
aren't necessarily going to be good romantic partners. That's that's when I was writing everything where it belongs, you know, that thick word, Daryl ends up being the one who gets shot at Grady and then he ends up coming back and he ends up having tremendous number of problems. One of the reasons why I wrote that and also kind of safe up here with you is similar. You know, one where, the one where Daryl takes Beth to, you know, Beth after having been shot and being brain damaged takes her to this house in the woods and everything in the, in the mountains and everything just goes completely sideways and it's awful. Happy ending kind of, but awful. The, the point of those two fics was that it, it was kind of calling into question the idea that if, you know, that these these two characters who I ship and I love the idea of them together, that these two characters are in a place where they could really be together in a healthy way. And it was saying, you know, maybe not. And, and that was also kind of the point of, um, sorry, I'll, talk, I'll stop talking about my own fic in a minute. But that was also kind of the, the point of I'll Be Yours for a Song. You know, Daryl couldn't really be with Beth in a healthy way until he no longer needed her. You know, he loved her, he wanted to be with her, and she loved him and wanted to be with him, but they didn't need each other to be whole people. They were whole people aside from each other. They could bring themselves to each other as as, as healthy people who could give themselves freely and fully. And Daryl and Carol have not been in that place at all. Pretty much ever. <laughs> Pretty much fucking ever. Except Daryl maybe came a little close to that in season four, but we all know what happened with that. And even if Carol is in this place now where I think she could be somebody's partner, Daryl is not. And I don't know when that's going to happen, if that is ever going to happen. And I don't see this show going for more than another couple of seasons. So there isn't a lot of time left for that to happen, to be perfectly honest. So it's not that I think that, it's not that I am 100% sure that they won't end up together in the end. They may. I can't say that that won't happen. I hope that it won't because I just don't think it would work. But, you know, it it may, it may. But there's no way it happens now or soon. And it makes a lot more sense for last night, for her, kind of the closing out of that part of her arc, to be setting her up to have a relationship with a guy who is also kind of finding himself and, and finding finding his way back up from a really bad place. You know, Ezekiel's been through some shit, but he's also clearly on the mend. And he has such a strong foundation to get back to, whereas Daryl's got nothing. Like, he really has just about nothing at all. So, yeah. God. That's so... Oh, God, it was such a good Carol episode. So, so great. Okay. Um, God, where do I want to go from there? I'm sure there's stuff about Carol that I'm forgetting. Um, okay, Flag... Flag, you save people, because I, that's something I really want to talk about at the very end of this. God, I hope this isn't going to end up being super long. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, talk about Morgan really quick. So I kind of, you know, I, I alluded, not alluded, I talked about him being kind of this mystical character last week and this week also as being this prophet. And God, I, I just, I don't even, I'm not really even 100% sure what to make of what we saw. It's just that what we saw was so remarkable. Uh, it was so incredibly well-written and well-acted. More tea, then I'll get into that. So we saw, you know, we saw Morgan at one of his lowest points in Clear. And I think that the fact that Gimple wrote that episode shouldn't, that, that the importance of that can't be overstated. That, that was such an important episode for establishing really a lot of what has followed. Gimple does that. He seeds things in single episodes and then they end up growing into these enormous trees uh, later on. The, the other writers in the cast have basically said that, like literally have said that's how he operates. It's one of the things I really like about how he writes. And we saw Morgan at one of his lowest places in Clear and, you know, then we saw him kind of coming, coming back up and becoming this, you know, fucking Jedi Knight character, which was a little doofy, but I also liked it. And... And we saw him crashing back down last season in a way that I thought was extremely well done. And he's continued to be at that very, very low place. Uh, he's, he's barely holding on to himself. He's basically lost himself. He hasn't lost everything, but he's... Last night we really saw him... We saw him not going through a final slide, but very, very close to hitting bottom. And I don't know if he's going to come back up from that. Again, I have no idea how he's going to fit into Fear the Walking Dead. I don't intend to watch it because I'm just not interested, but even with Morgan. But yeah, it's... 
and his relationship with Rick, his, his, his meeting up with Rick and what happened there. I'm so, again, I'm so sorry. This is so disorganized, but I'm just jumping around in my own head to so many different places and I'm seeing so many different things that all tie to each other in, in all these different cool ways. Um, yeah, it's the, what, what he went out there for and, and his kind of wandering in the wilderness for like a day, you know, but, but that, that was still, you know, a significant wandering in the wilderness period, even if it wasn't for 40 days and 40 nights. And then coming back the way he did with Rick. God, there's just so much there to unpack. I love it. The uh, Jumping ahead to the end of the episode, one thing that just ripped my heart out was the way he smiled at Henry when he said, it's okay, I killed the guy. I killed them all. And, and Henry is upset by that. And he says, like, pretty sure I recall Henry saying, I'm sorry. Again, my memory is like a sieve, but I'm pretty sure that he said that. And... If I'm, remember, if I'm remembering correctly that he said, I'm sorry, you know, you could, you could read that as I'm sorry that I fucked up and ran away and was a stupid kid, as kids in the zombie apocalypse tend to be. But that's actually not how I read that. I, I read it as, I'm sorry that you did that. I'm sorry that I put you in a position to do that. I'm sorry that you did that because I understand now what a terrible thing that is. You know, I understand... I understand now what it does to you, what it does to your spirit to kill somebody. You know, how it rips, like Harry Potter, how it rips a part of you away and you never get that part back. And yeah, just, just that, that moment of breakage. And again, like you could unpack so much just in I'm sorry. And you could unpack so much in Morgan's reaction to that. Again, like I'm not even sure what to fucking say about it. It's just so wonderful and horrible, but wonderful. Morgan is, I don't, Morgan's relationship with death is so fraught and so complicated and so fascinating. Um, I love, I love how he constantly says that he doesn't die and he means it. You know, again, it's kind of that, kind of that above everything, viewing something from a prophet perspective where he really sees the truth in ways other people don't. And he sees the workings of the world in ways other people don't. Um, There he says, like, I don't die. And, but everybody around me does. And everybody turns. There's, you could read that on so many different levels. You know, you can read it as speaking literally, but you can also read it in ways that are figurative and symbolic in in some very, very deep ways. One of the things that I really love about how he does that is that he ends up being correct over and over and over again. It's another way in which, you know, I feel like there's kind of a supernatural element to what's going on now in a way that goes beyond, you know, the dead rising. That that he he really is kind of, he has kind of, a, you know, the curse of Cain on him a little bit. You know, he's going to walk the earth and everyone's hand will be against him, but he won't get to die. And he's just going to have to watch everybody else suffer and die because he's weak. You know, he's not good or bad. He's tried to be good, but he's not, he hasn't really been able to make that work. And he's also not, not a bad person, really. I mean, he's, you know, he's killing people and everything. And he, he's capable of just being horribly vicious. But I think that there is a distinction to be made between bad and weak. Uh, it's, it's something that Gimple is, it's another thing Gimple is parsing very fine. I think. And uh, this this may be me reading too much into it, and it may be giving him too much credit, but I really do think there's something there. On the one hand, I think that you could argue, like I've been saying, that Morgan is correct, that Morgan is seeing things from a perspective wherein what he says really is the truth. On the other hand, I think that there is a degree to which the, you know, kind of the big questions that these writers are asking they're kind of troubling his claims. You know, it's one of the big open questions on this show is who, who survives? How? What does survival mean? And this is several questions, not one question, although they all kind of thematically join together into a single big question. And, you know, what, what's strength, what's weakness, what's goodness, what's badness? And, you know, the last people standing, of what nature are they? Are they good? Are they bad? Have they survived by being strong? Have they survived by being weak? What does any of that look like? Do the weak people survive? And I think that that's, you know, Morgan is saying that it seems sometimes like he's right, but I don't think that that's a settled, I don't think that's a settled issue. 
I think that's something we're still watching unfold. There may be no answer. You know, this might be one of those things where the show is not providing a hard answer. It's just asking the question. And some people might find that very unsatisfying, but I think it's cool to do. Because I like giving, I like giving a lot of agency to an audience and kind of letting them figure out shit for themselves. As you might have noticed if you read my stuff. So yeah, it's, he's, his place in the story right now is so fucking great and it's so fucking interesting. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes in the next two episodes. But on the other hand, every, again, I have a really bad feeling about it. Mm. I hope he just kind of wanders away at the end of this and then, you know, he's fine. Not fine, but, you know, he continues on his Morgany way and, you know, has quests and adventures and maybe in the end becomes not quite so fucked up. All right, tea, and then I want to talk about, I want to talk about Rick and Morgan because holy shit. Okay, Rick, Rick himself, <laughs> just, just for a second. Um, I, I said on Tumblr last night that there's like, there's a mathematical equation that you can put together that measures his level of, of sexual appeal according to his level of moral bankruptcy. Like, you know, that they're correlated. As one increases, so does the other. And it, I shouldn't, this is, this is me with my weird Rick moral bankruptcy fetish that I know a lot of people probably don't share. But personally, I, I just think the more fucked up he gets, the hotter he is. And yes, that includes, you know, just completely covered in blood and filthy and with like, you know, a moses beard. By the way, like, I think Andy has said that like the beardier he gets, the more, the more, you know, off the rails he is, which is great. I kind of wonder who came up with that. Was that like Andy or was that the writers? Uh, neat. But yeah, it's, I just love it. I love it. I love fucked up Rick. It's the best thing. I'm so happy with where he is right now. I mean, I'm not. It's terrible. And it's awful for Michonne. And Michonne deserves so much better. And she, and she loves him so much. And it fucking sucks. But on the other hand, God, it's nice to watch. Ugh. Why is Rick slaughtering people with a machete so hot? Like, why is Rick tearing up people's throats with his teeth so hot? I'm revealing way too much about myself here. I'm so sorry, guys. Let's move on from that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I loved, and this was the title of the episode, you know, still got to mean something. I loved the reiteration of that quote. And I had to look it up because I, I knew he had said it before, but I didn't quite remember what the context was. You know, if, you, if you've forgotten, it was what he said to the guy at, you know, the, the place where they did the savior raid in, in the first half of this season. You know, the unarmed guy that Daryl ends up killing. Not much is worth, not, you know, not, not much is worth much in this world anymore, but a man's world, that's still gonna, man's word's still gonna mean something. And, you know, Rick, Rick says that the first time and he means it. Like, I really think he does because in the first half of this season, Rick is still kind of trying to be a good person with mixed success, but he's trying. And Daryl is the one who's just in the worst possible place. And Daryl fucking kills the guy. He didn't have to. He just does it. He executes him. And Rick is like, the fuck? He's horrified. You know, but part of him gets it. And when he says it, when Rick says it last night, you know, the position is just completely flipped. He's lying. He's just completely fucking lying. He is not, you know, I'm not saying he's irredeemable because he... The show's going to redeem him temporarily, you know, because it does all the time, sort of. But uh, yeah, he was, it, for that moment, he was kind of irredeemable and I loved it. And I, I loved how he kind of fully sang. You saw it building throughout the whole episode. Masterfully done. And, and it's been building since Carl's death. But then, you know, he met up with Morgan. And it, it was this wonderful callback to the first season. And I'll talk about more of the callbacks shortly. It was this wonderful callback to the first season where it's, you know, it's it's the two of them against the world again. Um, but you, you see how far they've both fallen and you see how much they've both lost and how it's destroyed them as people. And, you know, you then you see them in the bar with the saviors. And I mean, that's that's where who they are right now is really truly revealed. And they're not too far from each other in terms of where they are psychologically and emotionally. Um, Rick is holding himself a little more literally together, but he's doing just as bad. Yeah, it was just just the brutality of that scene. 
when Rick, when Rick is brutal, he is the most brutal person on this show. In some respects, I think he's more than Negan because when Negan says that he doesn't want, like, like I said before, when Negan says he doesn't want to kill people, when he says he, you know, he really believes people are a resource and he would like to kill as few of them as possible. And he would like to employ violence as carefully as possible. I really think he means that. Like, he kind of exalts in violence, absolutely, but he also does believe that violence should serve a purpose, that violence isn't just something you do. And that's not Rick. Uh, I think Rick in that respect is worse than Negan, significantly, because he loves it. Part of him just absolutely adores it, and he he will be as violent as possible. Um, you know, he'll rip, rip, he'll rip people's throats out with his teeth and then stand there covered in blood. Like, what? You should know me by now. This is just me. And yeah, he's, he's, you really saw that last night. You know, he, he was, he was behaving with a viciousness and a brutality that I think, you know, very few other characters on the show display, not even Morgan, because Morgan is clearly just, just, you know, ripped apart by what it is that he feels he has to do. He hates it. He hates himself for what he's doing. And Rick's just doing it. And isn't sorry. Like, really isn't sorry. Even when he climbs out of the pit that he's in, which, I, again, I think he will, um, I don't think he's going to be sorry for any of this. He, he, might, he might decide that, you know, killing Negan is the wrong thing to do, but he still won't be sorry for fucking killing all the saviors. He just won't. At all. And yeah, it's seeing it that, that clearly was a real treat. And then how in the end it was, you know, Morgan could have stayed out there and I honestly kind of expected him to do so. But at the end, you know, it was Morgan and Rick that came back together. And, you know, then Morgan had the exchange with Henry and Rick went up to, you know, I presume take a look at Carl's letter. Now, uh, I... Quick, quick aside, I think it was interesting how at the end of it, Rick was bathed and wearing white. Uh, color is very meaningful on this show. People's physical appearance is extremely meaningful. Uh, just for example, I think the fact that, you know, Daryl hasn't cut his hair is, uh, I, th I think that that is important to who he is. The fact that Daryl's been wearing black for the last few seasons, uh, I, th I think is, is really significant. But, you know, last night, uh, Rick was still very beardy, but he was bathed and dressed in white. And I think that that might indicate something about how he's going to go. I mean, I, you know what it was? It was to, it was to read Carl's letter. I think, you know, he had to, he had to kind of, he had to cleanse himself and dress in new garments before he could approach this, really this holy item. You know, this, this is, Carl's letter is almost like a saint's relic. Uh, Carl, if there are saints in this time of signs and wonders, Carl's one of them. Glenn is one of them. Glenn was martyred. Carl was martyred. You know, these, these, the things that they've left behind, the watch, these are, these are holy relics that have power. And the hat has power. And his letter does too. And, and Rick could not approach this item without cleansing himself. Fucking love that. God, I love biblical symbolism so much. Yeah, I love symbolism in general so much, but you know, I was raised Lutheran and I was raised on Tolkien and, and Lewis and I've, I fucking love biblical symbolism. So great. Uh, and, and by the way, just an aside, uh, those, those of you in my Bethel fandom uh, have been upset about the fact that we haven't seen her knife. And like I have been saying, it's not that it's gone. It's that we haven't seen it because Daryl is not fit to hold it. Daryl, it's the same reason why he's, you know, been wearing black and why his hair is incredibly long. He is not in a place where he is able to hold this relic, this, this, this symbol of holiness. It's hers. And, and it's a symbol of her strength and, and all the things that he really loved about her, romantic, romantically or not all the things that he valued and respected about her, her ability to survive, you know, her, her, in, in spite of all odds and her resourcefulness and her strength. And he stopped wearing it the night that they first killed all the saviors. And, you know, they murdered them in their beds. That was a horrible thing. And that was the night we stopped seeing the knife and we haven't seen it since. And I think that we, we stopped seeing it because he took a plunge into a place that night that he hasn't come back from. And he 
until he cleanses himself somehow, he's not going to be able to hold that knife again. We won't see it again until he is in a different place. And, uh, yeah. Wow. You know what? I hadn't really thought about kind of the saint aspect of this until now. I'm so fucking into that. All right. T.T. T and, uh, I think I want to talk about Negan because I, I have, I have some, some Negan feelings. So one of the things that I've been yelling about is the fact that the last couple of episodes have made me not like Negan, but have made me appreciate him on some deeper levels. Because I think that, you know, as he's been, like I've said, as he's been losing his grip on power, he's been becoming marginally more interesting. Because we've been seeing different sides of him that we hadn't seen before. And again, it's not that I think he's a deep character. And whenever he talks about a fucking wife, I get so exasperated because it's like... I'm not sure if the writers want me to be responding emotionally in a positive way to that or not, but I'm not. It's like, I don't care about your man pain. I don't care about your fucking wife. Oh no, you were a shitty person and you lost her and then you named this murder weapon after her. I'm sure she appreciates the hell out of that. It's, I just, I don't like it. It's stupid. Fucking stupid. But one of the things that last night really brought home to me in terms of how he was talking to Jadis and this is something, somebody on Tumblr, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember exactly who it was, but they were awesome and insightful. Uh, somebody on Tumblr pointed out that uh, Negan is very much like Ben Linus from Lost in this respect. And for what it's worth, it's this, this attribute is one of the things that made me love Ben. Ben Linus on Lost is a profoundly duplicitous character. He's a liar. You know, he, he, he is hardly ever what he pretends to be. He, he plays so many different characters that at the end of it, you know, you're not entirely sure who he is. You're not entirely sure, you know, it, what it is, which person you are seeing whenever he's on screen doing or saying anything. Well, at the same time, on a very deep level, he never lies about anything. You know, he technically he lies. Technically he plays roles. But also, there are elements of truth in everything he says. He's, he is, in, in a deeper way, very honest about himself. In, in the sense that I think he means everything he says. And he might play different roles, but those roles are still him. We're just seeing different parts of him. We're seeing different sides of him. Everything we see is still genuine. The emotions, the words, he means all of it. He's able to act so well because he is acting with real material. And I think Negan is similar. And it is actually one of the things about Negan that I do like, or at least that I'm, I'm willing to concede is kind of interesting. Um, Negan is not necessarily playing different roles. I think that what you see with Negan is very much what you get. But that's the thing. What you see with Negan is very much what you get. I don't think Negan has lied once about anything. Not really, you know. I, I don't don't at me. Don't don't like don't like pick his dialogue apart and fucking transcripts and say, well, he did lie about this thing at you know, X episode at this particular timestamp. Fuck you. Don't do that. But you know, it in in essence, Negan's been genuine about everything. It, like like when I said that he, you know he he would prefer not to kill people. He means that. When he would prefer not to, you know, not to destroy communities. He means that. When he said he was sorry about Carl, he meant that. When he said he liked Carl, he meant that. He meant all of it. Um, when, when he said he was sorry to Rick, he fucking hates Rick, but he meant that he was sorry. He meant that. And, you know, last night when he was talking to Jadis, you know, he was trying, and, and we saw vulnerability in him. He was trying to save his own ass. Don't get me wrong. But he also meant it. He meant everything he said. I don't think Negan is capable of lying in a weird way. Like, I just don't think he can do it. And I'm not sure what to make of that. Like, I don't really know. I don't know what exactly the deal is with that. I'm not sure where that is coming from. But I think that he is, in many respects, one of the most honest characters on the show. He just doesn't lie about himself. And he is able, I think, to be convincing because he does so transparently mean what it is that he is saying. You know, when he was very upset last night, when he was saying, you know, when he, when he was seeing how he had been wrong, 
when he was seeing the fact that, you know, what he had done technically was a mistake, you know, trusting Simon was a mistake. Uh, when, when he was saying to Jadis that he was sorry, when he was kind of connecting with her in that moment, I think he meant it. Now I fucking hate it. Uh, I, when she was about to, you know, set fire to Lucille last night, I was like, like, oh my God, bitch, just do it. Just fucking do it. Why are you not doing it? Just, oh, it's not even the same thing as killing him. Just do it. I know, I know why it was supposed to be hard for her, the pictures and everything. I get it, but it was just so frustrating. I just wanted to kill him. Oh, this whole thing could have been done. Could have been done, but you know it won't be because you know they're not going to kill him because he's fucking going to survive and live in a cage for two years or whatever. Whatever. I don't, I don't know. Again, like I didn't read the comics. I don't know what happens after the war. I just know that two years later, he's still there. They're not going to kill him. And last night, I, I knew they wouldn't and I so desperately wanted them to. But the fact remains... He, he meant it. He meant what he was saying. And yeah, I just, I think that's super interesting, you know? I, again, I, I, I think that, I think that last night was also kind of a false note. Hang on, T. I think that last night was kind of a false note because how I, how I feel about this is that the writers have been, they really have been using him mostly as a plot device. You know, like I keep saying, he's kind of a force of nature. He's not a person so much as a thing that makes stuff happen. I think it's one of the reasons kind of why he doesn't lie about anything. You know, a deep human being lies. He can just says shit and means it in that moment, even if it's not entirely consistent with the rest of who he appears to be. They they have been using him that way. And I have been kind of, you know, kind of a Morton Joe character. And I've been appreciating and assuming that they meant to do that because they understood who he was. And last night I kind of felt like they went a little bit, oh shit, we kind of need to be slightly redeeming this guy before the end. And it just didn't, I don't know, I didn't think it worked. Or at least it didn't feel like it worked because I don't think he's redeemed now, you know, but I still... I feel like they were trying to go in a direction. And in particular, I feel like this was, you know, him talking to Jadis. Um, I feel like they were going in a direction for which they have not laid adequate groundwork. It's not that I don't think that it could work. I just think that they're rushing it. You know, I think they're trying to do it too quickly. I don't think that the changes that we're seeing in him are justified. Um, now, you know, we didn't see much of it last night. And it's entirely possible that the rest of the execution will be fine or that he, it will turn out that he has not changed quite so much as I thought they were trying to say he had changed. I mean, maybe they're saying that he hasn't really changed at all and that we're just seeing a side of Negan we haven't really seen before because necessity has not brought it out of him because he's very much a creature of necessity. But yeah, I just don't know. It, it rang kind of false to me. In, in fact, it is one of the only things this season that has done that. Uh, it's everything else I think has worked pretty good, but last night I'm just not so sure worked. Um, I, but I, I'm not, I'm not condemning it. I'm on the fence. I'm willing to see where it goes. There have been things that these writers have done, uh, that I haven't been sure about or that I've disagreed with. And, you know, then in many cases, although not by any means all, I've ended up in retrospect kind of going, okay, you know, I see why you went there. I don't, 100% agree, but I do see why you went there, and I don't think the execution was terrible in the end. This may be one of those cases. We'll see. I'm willing to give them a chance. But, yeah. Yeah, Negan is still a point of frustration for me. Mm, I'm wondering, I'm really, you know, wondering what season nine is going to be, because at this point, this is the first time where I've looked ahead to a season, and this might be partly because I just haven't read the comics, this is the first time where I've looked ahead to a season and I really have not known what they were setting up. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. And that's kind of a strange place to be. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about callbacks for a second. So something that I've been loving about this season, I, I let's step back for a minute. This is something that I love about this show in general. The fact that it is constantly referencing its own past. And this is something that I think that to one degree or another, they've always done. But since since Scott Gimple took over as showrunner, they've been doing it a lot. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that Gimple is a giant fucking nerd with binders full of notes. And it's just something, you know, he 
I love Gimple um, in a lot of respects. In other respects, I'd want to kick him in the shins. Um, people have called me a Gimple apologist, and I'm not. I just think he's a good writer. And then there are other times I want to fucking kick his shins. But he's he is one of those writers, and I sympathize with this because, again, if you've read my stuff, you know that this is something that I do too. He likes to throw in stuff like this, you know, references to other things and symbolism and callbacks and be like, aren't I clever? Did you see that? Do you see that? I'm so smart. He, he, uh, he's, a, I think, a writer who likes to do that. And so in some respects, that makes it kind of self-indulgent. But on the other hand, I like it because, okay, A, not very much time has actually passed on this show um, since season five. A few months, maybe, have passed. So I think that it's valuable in terms of writing to constantly be reasserting references to, you know, you know, a few months ago. For us, it's actually been three years. You know, a few months ago, you remember last week. Uh, it's it, it makes sense to kind of reference stuff that has happened in the recent past in the story as a way of kind of reminding the audience in a subtle way, remember, not, not, not that much time has actually passed, guys. You know, these characters, these memories of these people and these things are still very fresh in these characters' minds because they didn't happen that long ago. You know, it's only been a few months since they lost the prison. It's only been a few months since Maggie lost her sister. It's only been a few months since Maggie lost her fucking father. It's not more than a year. Uh, so, so yeah, this stuff, this stuff happened pretty recently. And it makes sense that it would still be on their minds. But on the other hand, it's just something that these writers do. It's something that Gimple does. And this season, it's been happening a lot. Uh, it's been happening more than normal, I think. Now, I'm also um, inclined to look for it. And you tend to see what you look for. That's just kind of the nature of human pattern recognition. So I may be seeing more of it where if I actually went back and counted references, there would actually not be that much of a spike. But it feels to me as if there has been more than there has been before. It's, it's not just references to, to the past and it's not just callbacks. It's, it's the feeling, like I said last night, it's, it's the feeling of the past as kind of a force which is hunting you down. You know, the past is it, the past is this looming, relentless thing that is chasing you and you can't escape it. And sometimes that's good, actually, you know, like because, you know, Carol got to basically symbolically save Sophia. Finally, you know, she got to she got to end that unresolved hole in her life. She got to fill that. And sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's not like Morales, uh, like everything that's been going on with Morgan. Hang on, I need more tea. And Morales is, Morales is such a great example of this because, I mean, it was so fucking random for one thing. Like, what are the odds of that? In fact, in some respects, that made it kind of silly. I, I liked it. I, don't get me wrong. I thought it was cool, but it was also a little silly. Uh, but, but Morales is season one. And he wasn't even a huge character in season one. Like, he was, you know, he was one of the original Atlanta camp. He was, he was important. But I, I am guessing a lot of people who've been watching the show forgot him. I mean, I've, they probably there have been a hundred billion characters since then who have you know come into and then left our lives. And uh, I honestly, when people started throwing around Morales's name at the beginning of the season as a potential guy to come back, I honestly this is embarrassing to me. But I had to go look him up. Like I, my memory for names is shitty anyway, as you know. But I did not remember who he was. And when I looked him up, I was like, oh, it's kind of a random dude to come back, isn't it? And it, it was, it was, it was just this weird lunge backward years ago, like eight fucking years ago. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was this, you know, I, I almost imagine it as, you know, the seasons are these different lines. And then this was this bizarre tether stretching all the way back from eight to one completely skipping over all of the other seasons it's not like when merle disappears you know and it, for for a season and a half and then reappears and you know he's gone at the beginning of season one and then he reappears in season three like partway through season three you know that's yeah that's a significant absence but it's not actually in you know in tv time in tv terms it's not that much of an absence characters dip in and out all the time 
maybe not necessarily with that much of a time gap, but it's not uncommon for characters to do that at all. But bringing back Morales at this point is fucking crazy. Like, it's just nuts. I love, I, I really love some of the stuff that it implies, but it's nuts. And that was kind of the first big indicator that we were going to get a lot more of that. And since then, it's just been reference after reference after reference to stuff earlier in these characters' arcs. And, and not always entirely earlier. You know, there have been references back to season five. Um, Morgan saying to Carol, you know, you save people. That's a, I, that is not an accidental turn of phrase. That has got to be a reference to Consumed. That has got to be a lean back to season five to another very important moment in Carol's arc. And uh, Rick, Rick's general connection to Morgan, you know, in the comparison with the two of them now to the two of them when they first met. Um, the fact that they've both lost sons in really terrible ways. The fact that losing sons has changed them for the worse. Morgan, you know, Morgan talking about how his son was holding him together after he lost his wife. And then when he lost his son, he just completely went to pieces. Rick has lost a wife. Rick has lost a son. Now Rick has, you know, Judith and, and Rick has Michonne still, but Rick is in pieces. And a, a huge amount of that right now is that he's lost his son. So that, that, that loss and just what these years have done to these two guys is, you know, it's, it's like, you know, crazy before and like, you know, me and X year and then me and X year with, you know, those pictures of Winona Ryder. It's like that. That was what we saw last night. And, and that's a jump back to season one. And, you know, the, the Carol saving Henry was a jump back to season two. And there, and you know, the season is also referencing itself, like with Rick's line. It's, there is, there's all this jumping back and forth in time. And ref, Merle referencing his brother. By the way, I saw somebody saying, how did Tara know about Merle? And yeah, how did Tara know about Merle? Because I don't remember them discussing it. I mean, you could just say that that was an off-screen conversation, like this person suggested. But I don't know, I think it might have been the writers fucking up. Regardless, we finally got a reference to Merle. What, the last time anybody talked about Merle was season four, when, when Daryl was talking about him with Beth. And that, he hasn't been mentioned since then, as far as I know. But, you know, suddenly he pops up again. Michonne, referencing losing her family. Referencing Andrea. I... When... <laughs> Did, when Glenn did his little up with people speech, did he meant to, to an Enid, did he mention Andrea? I can't remember if he mentioned Andrea or not. I think he did. Regardless, uh, you know, there's, there, there have been all of these references to important characters who have died. And it's, I, there is, I feel this mounting sense of kind of things coming full circle. That's, that's something that has happened. Loops closing is something the show does a lot, you know, on a smaller scale. And so I don't think that that's necessarily new, but I, I just, I feel, I feel something growing. I feel something big coming. And I don't, I don't know if that will actually happen. I think maybe the sense of building might just be in my head. Maybe, I don't think that all these things are happening randomly and for no reason. I think that they're all clustered together for a purpose. But yeah, there's some, something is happening this season. Something's going on and it's weird and I like it, but it's weird. I really don't know what to do with it. Uh, I'm almost done with this tea. I don't have some more. I am now done with the tea. It was cold. Still good, but cold. So... Let me go ahead and, and do a Team Defiance corner thing real quick. Um, I, I mentioned last night in response to somebody that this is something that I don't directly attach to Beth. This kind of sense of things looping back on themselves. I don't attach that directly to Beth, but I don't not attach it, you know? And one of the reasons why I kind of... Why I find the two work well adjacent to each other, not connected, but adjacent, is because if you are creating an environment where there are a lot of callbacks to the past and where characters are just randomly fucking reappearing like Morales out of nowhere for no apparent reason and, and then just and then like dying very fast. It's very strange. Anyway, um, it, it, it means that if, a, if another character just kind of pops up again, it's like, hello, surprise, I'm not dead. That's... 
it's still very surprising, uh, you know, except for those of us who've been kind of waiting for this to happen. Uh, but it's, it's not as jarring as it might otherwise be. It kind of fits into an overall pattern. If there are a lot of callbacks, if there are a lot of returns to the past, then a character who we all thought was dead literally returning from the dead uh, would not be quite as strange. It would fit better into everything else. So I, I feel like potentially one of the things this is doing, and it is not by any means the only thing it's doing, these things are all significant in and of themselves for these characters. But one of the things that this arguably could be doing is laying the groundwork for something else like that to happen. You know, each thing kind of enables the thing that comes after it. Each thing kind of justifies the presence of the thing that comes after it. And I don't know. I just I feel like it could happen. I have felt like it could happen for, for like three seasons now. Let's be real. But I don't, I don't know. I just, it feels, it feels like it could be right. Maybe, maybe not until the season finale, I think. There's just too much going on right now. But yeah, it just, it just feels like something's, it feels like something's happening. Okay, um, like, like I also mentioned last night, the fact that Beth is still absent, the fact that she's still fucking absent, that everybody else is getting referenced. Not everybody, but a lot of people who have been very important to people, the people that we have lost, who have meant the most to us, are all getting brought back, at least in little asides. You know, their, their existence is being acknowledged, if nothing else. And they're, they're, what they have meant and what they mean in the context of now. You know, Michonne, Michonne watching this man she loves having lost a son and being like, you know, I've been through this too. That's, that, is, that is so important. It's, it's, just a, it's just a line. It's in one scene, but it takes everything that that line means. It takes all of that history and it brings it forward into the present. And it, it, does, it does something huge in about two words. And that's great. And like I said, we haven't seen Beth's knife. And I think that that happened for a reason. I really do. I don't think that that in itself necessarily means we'll see Beth again, but I think that we there is a reason why we haven't seen the knife. And I also just, I feel like her absence is so conspicuous. Her figurative absence. She's just, nobody's talking about her. Nobody's saying her name. She was supposed to be, you know, she, she was... She was only main cast for half a season, but she was main cast, and she was extremely important to Daryl. Again, maybe not for a very long time, and you can argue about whether or not their connection was romantic, but she was, regardless, extremely important to him. Uh, she, she helped bring him to a good place, almost, and then losing her just wrecked him, and he's never recovered from it. Came close with Aaron, but, you know, fuck that. That didn't end up working out. And he hasn't even said her name. He hasn't even talked about her except very briefly to Maggie. And that was only a couple things. You know, when Rick actually tried to talk to him about it, Daryl completely blew him off. Wouldn't discuss it at all. Yeah, nobody will talk about Beth. Nobody wants to talk about Beth. And I just think that's really fucking weird. There are a lot of people in our fandom who've been saying that that's disrespect or the writers forgetting about her. It's not. Come on. Come on. Look at everything else that's going on this season and tell me that the writers are just, they're just snubbing her for, for why. Why would they be doing that? They're just forgetting about her because, no. Why would they forget about her and remember everything else? It, no, that just, that is not, that is not what is going on. I don't know what is going on, but that is not what is going on. Something else is happening and it is fucking killing me. And I'm well aware of the, of the possibility that we'll never know. <laughs> I can't stand it, but I'm well aware of the possibility that we'll never know. Speaking of things we don't know, helicopter, fucking hell. Okay, you know what I love about the helicopter? They won't tell us what the fucking deal is with the helicopter. They're just like, fuck you, no. We, we refuse to explain this. Here, you want to see a helicopter again? Here it is. You want it explained? Fuck you. Oh, helipad, solar panels. I bet you're curious about what that's about, aren't you? Well, we're not going to tell you. I, I love it. I love it. They're being such dicks about it. I love it. God, it, it's, again, like what that means is fucking tremendous. That the presence of a helicopter implies 
just outrageously much. And the, the fact that Jadis does not appear to be in charge of that helicopter. Somebody else is in charge of that helicopter. That, that was, that is not, they had a helipad and they had solar panels, but that was not the junkyard people's helicopter. They had a place where it could come to them, but it did not belong to them. At least, you know, pretty sure not. Uh, she had to signal it or, or it, you know, it had a scheduled time when it would come by and she had, had a way of signaling it. It's not hers though. It belongs to somebody else. And we got confirmation last night that Negan had no idea it existed. So this is something that is unknown to everybody except her and her dead people. And I just, a helicopter implies fuel. It implies a safe place to keep it. And it implies people who can fly it. And those things are immense in terms of what they imply. It's just the, the, the further implications of that. I, I get so excited world building wise because there's just so much to that potentially. Um, like I think I've yelled about more than once, they're not far from Andrews Air Force Base. Like, I live in this area. I live not far from Alexandria. There's a lot of government shit around here. It, it actually bothers me that we haven't seen any of it. And, you know, nobody... They're out in... I don't even know what part of Alexandria it's supposed to be. They're out in the middle of the fucking wilderness. We've seen, you know... And, and we've occasionally seen things that may be towns. Like, nobody's in D.C. Nobody's tried to go into D.C. as far as I know. You know, nobody's tried to go into any of these government installations when you probably would want to go there because there's probably stuff. And I know they're fighting a war and everything, but, like, there's so much out there. This, this is the, in terms of, of stuff to get in the apocalypse, this is stuff central. The D.C. metro area. It's all here. Everything you could want to survive in the apocalypse is here. And yeah, it's just, uh, there's, there's, there's something more out there and I, I'm desperate to find out what it is. I, I just hope it's not stupid. You know, I, I trust these writers generally, but I just hope it's not stupid. I really hope it's Andrews Air Force Base. I mean, that would be a wonderful twist or something like that. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was a military helicopter, right? It did not look like a civilian helicopter, but I'm, I'm, you know, not great at telling the difference between these things. Anyway, okay, I think that's everything uh, that I wanted to scream about. So I think I'm going to shut up and I have to go make meatballs. So I'm going to go do that. Um, thanks so much for listening. We're coming, wow, we're coming down to the end of the season. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do after that. What am I going to do with myself? I'll come up with something. Uh, I'm, I keep meaning to go back to picking up the thick readings, which I do still intend to do, because um, those are fun. I don't want to stop doing them, even though they're a fair amount of work. Speaking of a fair amount of work, if you enjoy this, if you've been liking listening to it, if you want to help me keep doing stuff like this, uh, you can help me out by going to patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry, and you can send me a couple dollars a month, and that's great. Um, something I did uh, the other day is I actually uh, have a story in Uncanny Magazine from this past February, and it hasn't been turned into a podcast yet, so I recorded myself reading it with music and everything. And I posted it up there, and it is free to listen to if you want to do that. Uh, and I plan to do more audio stuff for people at, like, you know, the 5 and $10 level, and maybe now and then for people at the $1 level, just because I, you know, love those people too. So yeah, uh, check out the rewards I've got there, see if anything tickles your fancy. See if you want to maybe support a starving grad student who's trying to do fandom stuff while they finish up their PhD, and that's awesome. Yeah, okay, um, meatballs. Thanks so much again for listening, thanks for your support, and I will speak to you next week. Bye.